Whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God. And those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is God's minister an avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Therefore, you must be subject not only because of wrath, but also for conscience' sake. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for they are God's ministers attending continually to this very thing. Render, therefore, to all their due taxes to whom taxes are due, customs to whom customs, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. So the 12th chapter, if you remember, uh, this seems like a bit of a, a hard turn, and we were talking, or we were uh, finishing up previously about repaying no one evil for evil, and, and uh, as much as depends upon you, live peaceably with men, and, and uh, back in verse 9, I'm just looking at a few of the different things, love, let love be without hypocrisy, be kindly and affectionate to one another. These are some of the, the things that are uh, found in the 12th chapter, but then we move into this 13th chapter, uh, which again, when Paul writes this letter, uh, it's not divided up as in, as in chapter form. It, of course, is written as a single letter, a single epistle, and uh, he turns to government. Obviously, he's writing to the Romans or people in Rome, which would include both, as we've discussed previously, Gentiles as well as Jewish um, believers who are also Roman citizens or living in Rome. Um, anyone that had come from the Jewish background, which Paul, of course, was a, a devout Jew, and uh, you know that Jesus uh, had many dealings with uh, the zealous and devout uh, Jews, both the religious leaders as well as those that were very antagonistic and wanted to overthrow Rome. Of course, Jesus himself Many of the Jewish peoples hoped, hoped and expected uh, that Jesus as Messiah would deliver them from Caesar, right? And that he would be, he would set up his earthly kingdom. So Paul uh, certainly had many people that he would run into that would probably say, you know, hey, I've become a follower of Jesus Christ. He is, after all, the King of kings and Lord of lords. True. Jesus sits above every other king. So I don't, really have to buy, I don't really have to obey any earthly king anymore, correct? And then Paul would give them this kind of news. Well, actually you do. That uh, you're going to still have to be submissive to the authorities that God has put in this world. And, and, and certainly Jesus will someday, the government will someday be upon his shoulders. We look forward to that day when all government is on the shoulders of Jesus. But this was something that uh, no doubt those that were coming to Christ and finding that they had freedom and slaves that were now free in the Lord, but yet they still had masters and all these different things. Uh, Paul is still saying, uh, well, you now have freedom in Christ, but your freedom is to be someone who has a submissive spirit. Uh, you're free to have a submissive spirit. Uh, which is not, uh, which, which again, that in and of itself goes against the grain of the way society thinks. Uh, 
we think of our freedom as a license in America to do anything we want. Whereas God says, now the freedom is to submit to the authority of the Lord and other authority structures that God has put in place. Now this is a, this is a section of Scripture where I think one could, and follow me on this, this is, a, this is a, a section, these seven verses, where I think somebody could overthink it. I think someone could underthink it. I think that it could be completely misunderstood as to what Paul is saying if, that's capital if, big if, we ignore the totality of Scripture when digesting the wisdom and direction that's laid out here. Because if you take any Scripture in a vacuum or by itself, uh, you can get a very singular perspective, but understanding that Paul is very cognizant about everything that's written in Genesis through Malachi. Would you agree? Uh, he was trained in the law. He was not unaware of the Old Testament writings, and he certainly wasn't unaware of the teachings of Jesus himself, and certainly uh, the other apostles uh, that spent time with the Lord. Paul had his own training after salvation but understood the teaching of Christ as well as the Old Testament Scriptures. So it's important to see all Scripture through the lens of the whole counsel of God. Any Scripture you're looking at, you must understand. This is why we're told to study and know the Scriptures. So we understand when we see something come up, we have the full context. Now the Scriptures themselves clarify other Scripture. The way we interpret what Scripture is saying is with other Scripture. Scripture defines Scripture. 2 Timothy 3.16 tells us this. 2 Timothy 3.16, you all probably know, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, which is what we teach in the Scriptures. Reproof, again, sometimes we need to be reproved. We think we're on the right track. We're not. Correction, very similar. And instruction in righteousness. And that's exactly what these seven verses contain. Instruction for righteousness. How to live righteously under the umbrella of government. And we have it too, don't we? <laughs> we have the umbrella of government. How to live righteously as a light and a witness uh, under the umbrella of whatever form of government uh, you're born in. I certainly, I, I sometimes will say to my daughters, I'll just ask them, why, you know, you wish you were born in China? Do you wish you were born in North Korea? Do you wish you were born, you know, I'll just name any country, not always oppressive governments. Sometimes I'll, I'll come up with countries that, uh, and they always say, no, 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 I'm glad I'm born in the United States. How about you guys? Now, some of you may not have been born in the U.S., but you find yourself here now. But most of us, I think, were. And I think most of us are thankful we're born here. But we could have been born anywhere else too, correct? God could have had us born anywhere in the world. And wherever we live, these seven verses would still apply to us in that country as much as in this country. It doesn't matter where we live. The gospel is written for believers worldwide. In any passage we study, though, again, looking at these verses, uh, the surrounding text and then the Old Testament scriptures as well as the New Testament, they help us apply the understanding and the instruction that we need as to what we're looking at. Uh, most of you, most of you heard of the twenty twenty rule. Most of you heard of that. You always read twenty verses above, twenty verses after to understand the context. Now, 
that's not a hard fast, that, that's not that every single time. But in general terms, that will usually help you understand the text and not to, again, create a pet doctrine out of it or to read something into the text that the text is not saying or to make it say what you want it to say, right? All of these things everyone's been guilty of from time to time. And sometimes unwittingly because you just read it and you think, okay, that's... But you have to understand what, what, what did Paul say in the you know, 15, 20 verses before that? What does he say just after that? And of course, we'll get to those verses in the remaining 8 through 14 as well as chapter 14. It's important to understand. So that 20-20 rule, if you don't know it, again, anytime you see a verse that kind of throws you for a loop, and that'll happen when you read the Bible, won't it? What in the world is that? You know, uh, my wife and I were discussing one uh, in the Old Testament you know, uh, a couple weeks ago. And, and again, if you just look at the verse by itself, it could really confuse you. But then if you Again, start with that 2020 rule. It's a good thing to do, and uh, that will help clear up a lot of things as to what Paul is getting at here. Now, the context of um, the verses prior, go back to chapter 12, particularly starting in verse 2 of chapter 12 all the way through verse 20, and then if you look at verses 8 and well into chapter 14, the context that surrounds these seven verses, so the 20 above, the 20 below, uh, or thereabouts, uh, we find that these are the themes that Paul is talking of above this passage and below this passage. Love, humility, being different from the world, and having the right heart attitude towards others. So those are the, some of the themes predominant themes uh, before and back in chapter 12 and then after in verse 8. Matter of fact, you'll look at verse 8 where we'll get to, we won't get to tonight, but look at verse 8. Oh, no one anything except to love one another. So love is even in the very next verse. So these things uh, we see kind of surrounding these seven verses. And then Paul includes the God-ordained institution of government. In other words, what are right attitude toward government should be. And then, of course, government, when we think about our attitude towards other, government is actually made up of real human beings, isn't it? I mean, it is an institution, but it's an institution that's filled by people. Now, all authoritative roles and responsibilities come first from God, right? Go all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Adam was created first. Then God creates Eve, and you have the institution of marriage. Then comes Cain and Abel, so the children had their submissive role to the parents. All of the, uh, all of the uh, institutions, or any kind of authority that is, uh, comes first from God, family authority. And then you have corporate type, and I don't mean corporate as in business sense, but corporate as in a, a, a plurality of people or a number of people. Uh, those types of leadership still come from the Lord, military leadership government leadership, business leadership, and church leadership. All of those things still come from the Lord. Lord designed that there would be, if you, again, we're, we just finished Exodus, God gave Moses, what, 70 elders, and that they would then govern the affairs of the people and the things that were too hard for them. Moses would be the last line of defense before you know, he would handle the, any, the buck stopped with him kind of thing. Leadership is given by the Lord, and certainly government 
uh, is a big part of that. Now, since governments include every nation of the world, every nation has some form of government. When there is no government, then you have complete anarchy and you have complete out of control. And eventually, someone wins and there's a new form of government, right? So you will have uh, eventually uh, anarchist uh, or, again, even if it's a just war, uh, take the Revolutionary War, someone, someone comes out on top and you invariably are going to have a government all over again. Could be a worse one, could be a better one, uh, could be about the same. We see that all those things happen. But uh, every nation has governments, and every nation has governments that include people that they govern that are both believers and non-believers. And in almost all cases, I would, I would just guess that in every case, but uh, in almost every case, if not every single case, there may be some tiny country that would defy this, but I doubt it, uh, there would always be far more non-believers than believers in both the general population as well as the leadership. Would you agree with that? Even in the United States, Christians are far outnumbered as a society. I'm not talking about the fact that we still would call ourselves a Christian nation because we probably have more churches than anyone in the, anyone in the world you know, per capita and things of that nature. But still, uh, non-believers usually far uh, outnumber believers in any government or in any people group. And so the government, though, um, everyone looks and has an opinion of their government. True? Their government is scrutinized, deified by some people. Some people think it's perfect. Uh, it's vilified by others. It's, you know, uh, blogs and postings and all kinds of stuff and pickets and everything and all kinds of opinions about uh, government. But government, again, in and of itself, isn't wrong. It is given by God. It's given by God. And we see here, for there is no authority, verse 1, except from God. The authorities exist that are appointed by God. Um, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. It's in what was the government, what is God's desire that government, well, it would be that uh, for God's minister of you is for good, that God's desire for government, certainly this is not the case of many governments, uh, and far less and less with our own government, which uh, is off the rails in many, many ways. Um, but God's desire for government is to do good, for the you know, that there would be opportunity for all people to be safe and secure, and again, that the laws and the government, uh, the laws and those uh, laws that are given by government would be for the protection of all. Police, for example, police, for example, are an, extend, an extension of government. Everybody would agree with that. Police are an extension of government. Uh, we elect officials. Officials, uh, we agree. The officials set up police force. They are given law authority or authority uh, to, uh, to really implement and protect the law and that people would abide by the law. But police are an extension of government. We'd all agree that from time to time you still have a bad apple in the police force. Doesn't matter where in the world, doesn't matter the city, there will be bad apples in the police force. We've seen situations of corruption, brutality, or unethical actions, but that does not mean that all police officers are corrupt 
or that the concept of police are, is an unjust concept. It just tells us that wherever we live in a sin world, there is going to be every different form of things that, that God says institutionalized, this is a good thing, man will still find a way to corrupt it or there will be corruption in it. But the concept of having police in and of itself is a good concept, that they would be peace, in a sense, officers, peace, as opposed to uh, brut brutal or corrupt or any of the other things that we see. But we would all think that uh, as society stands right now, we're still glad that there are police officers patrolling the neighborhood at 3 in the morning while you're asleep. Right? That it's a good thing. Now, God ordained government to establish order, and again, for the protection of people. Because even if you go back to the Mosaic Law, which we were just in Exodus, and the giving of the Ten Commandments, if everyone in society obeyed the Ten Commandments, we're all a lot safer, aren't we? I mean, that's, that's axiomatic. If everyone obeys the Ten Commandments, we're all a lot safer. You're not stealing from my house. I'm not stealing from your house. This person's not murdering this person. We're not coveting each other's stuff, which makes us envious, which makes us gossip, and then on down the line it goes, right? But the law was given for the protection of people. Obviously, all law-breaking is first offense to who? To God. But then God gives government to say, look, some laws, uh, some laws are going to have to have intervention of people or there will be nothing but out-and-out out chaos. It didn't take long before Cain murdered Abel, did it? It didn't take that long. Somebody, now that way back then, God personally stepped in, but as human population was going to grow, there would have to be checks and balances of an organization to say, all right, uh, this person over here violated, and we have to step in and help that situation. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 and 14, Peter writes, Therefore submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. That's key. For the Lord's sake, whether to king is supreme or to governors, as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. Again, Peter establishes the same thing that Paul establishes. Uh, we are to submit to the institution of government as and for the Lord's sake, whether to kings, governors, doesn't matter the different forms of government, and uh, those who are sent for the punishment of evildoers, the praise of those who do good. And in other words, he's reemphasizing the pure nature of government in and of itself. Punishment of evildoers and allowing those who do good to continue to do good. Again, those of us who are law-abiding citizens, we're good for the rest of society. You, you actually produce something, you have a business, you have children, your, your children go up to produce something, and again, it's good for all. And government, that is the design, the God design of government. Now, the reason why I think Paul, again, this is why I think Paul writes some of this. This is just my own, and I read different commentaries, and uh, there, there's actually, there's a lot of good things said, but exactly why Paul, you know, writes this right here, uh, we don't know 
other than the Lord told him to. I really do think that you know Paul wants people to understand, again, the Roman government is very corrupt. Very corrupt. Um, as corrupt as our government has become with you know, lobbyists and paybacks and all kinds of other things and, and just pandering to voters and, and, and uh, you know, egos and all the things that, that, it, that we now have today. Uh, Rome had all of that and more. And so people might, if they came to the Lord, if they were coming to Christ and they had no background of the Scriptures, they didn't really either understand from a Gentile perspective, they didn't know the Old Testament, or they were taught from, they were this tall as a Jewish person to hate the Roman government, then both sides, one thinks, well, government must be bad, it must be really, really uh, uh, an evil thing that comes from Satan, or if you were raised in a Jewish home, you'd say, well, maybe, maybe not, but certainly the, all Roman government is evil. And really not all Roman government was evil, even though there was a lot of evil people, there was actually some just people in, even in the Roman government, there was still some just people. Uh, Jesus himself um, commended uh, the Roman centurion, didn't he? I haven't seen faith like this in all of Israel. So there was even some just people inside. So again, Paul is saying, as an institution, government in and of itself isn't the problem, and therefore you have to be subject to the rule of government but again, that doesn't, I don't think that Paul is saying here uh, that you're turning a blind eye to wickedness in government. Now, why would I say that? Let's take a, let's take a look at a couple other things. In Acts chapter 4, you know that uh, the, local, the local leaders there, they were the religious leaders, but they actually, get, they actually exercised, uh, because Rome gave the Jewish religious leaders a certain amount of autonomy to administer their Jewish law among the Jews. They actually had, you know, parochial rights over the Jewish people. Remember, even with the uh, arrest of Jesus, they were, cert- they were allowed to arrest Jesus, and they were allowed to condemn Jesus of guilt. They just couldn't execute him. They had to convince Pilate to do that. That makes sense? But they, had, they were given enough authority. It was just, it's very similar to a police officer. A police officer can arrest you, but can't, but can't actually convict you of a crime. He turns you over to the district attorney, who then prosecutes the case, who then you get a judge. Who, so you can see each person along the way has a measure of authority, but the final sentence comes through the, through the chain of command that, that whether it's a jury or a judge, your final sentence is given. Jesus, again, they had arrest authority, but they didn't have execution authority but the auspices of government as a whole does have execution authority. We'll get to that in just a second. But Peter and John in Acts chapter 4, they were arrested. And Peter and John answered the leaders, the local leaders there, and said, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than God you judge, for we cannot but speak the things which we have seen or heard. They were strictly commanded, not, you cannot share the gospel anymore. How did they respond? Okay, if you say so. No, that's not, that wasn't their response. Their response is, we either have to obey God or you, and guess which direction we're going. 
we're going to obey God, not you. Not that they didn't have respect. They spoke very respectfully. They were very, very courteous. But they simply said, it's not an option for us to disobey God. Therefore, we will be disobeying. If you're telling us we cannot share the gospel anymore, we are going to be breaking your law. But we won't be breaking God's law. So God's law supersedes, and Paul certainly knew this. He wrote other things that uh, let us know that as well. The, when I look at Peter and John, they absolutely were not going to ignore the Great Commission. Jesus had already said to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, to every person. They weren't going to ignore the Great Commission. They weren't going to ignore that they were be given power to be witnesses, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, the power of the Holy Spirit, to be witnesses in Judea and Samaria and all the world. And they weren't going to suppress the power of the gospel. That's the only way people can be saved. The gospel must be preached, even if it's against the law in North Korea, even if it's against the law in Iran, even if it's against the law in communist China, which all those are the case right now. Believers are still going to share the gospel, those that are filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. And it, it, the reason I bring this up is it, you could look at these seven verses. I've actually heard Christians make the case that you know, if the government says we can't do anymore, just don't do any of these things anymore, which is, which is this, this, Paul didn't write this so we'd become Christian cowards, right? That is absolutely not, that, Paul didn't live that way, so you know that's not the case. Paul himself got arrested uh, for uh, doing things that he was told he couldn't do as well, so that's not it. It's having the right attitude and respect for the titles even if you know it's going to cost you something. Does that make sense? That I, Paul still did not hate the notion of government and he wanted no believer to hate the notion of government and still have the right respect because government comes from God. But at the same time, you're going to have to at times say things that are going to be against the law, especially in countries that aren't free, which is much of the world. And certainly in Paul's day, most of the world wasn't free. Most of the world had kings, and whatever the king made law, that was it. Now, in Acts chapter 5, it says, So they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer for his name. We see that uh, you know believers, <laughs> they suffered, but they rejoiced for it. They leave the council. They've been, uh, they've been you know, admonished once again. They have suffered some persecution for disobeying the council. This is in the fifth chapter of Acts. And yet they're rejoicing to suffer for His name. And the key here is His name. If we're going to suffer, it shouldn't be because we're railing non-stop on the government, it's because we're constantly naming the name of Jesus. Does that make sense? This is what Paul's getting at. He's like, look, your government in and of itself, the structure of government, is ordained by God. You then have ungodly men who are in positions of power, but if you're going to have an issue, it can't be because you hate government, it must be because you love Jesus. 
Paul said, I'll do nothing but preach Christ and Christ crucified. That'll get you a lot of spotlights in certain parts of the world. You won't have to you know, spend your time exposing everything in the government. You just have to name the name of Jesus and they'll come find you. And this is the way Paul lived. This is the way the apostles lived. The reason we speak and even speak out is to speak for his name and because we love the souls of men. Again, it's found in love. That's why the 8th verse, which we'll pick up with a whole context before it, after it, is our righteousness of parent to the world. Do we actually have genuine agape love? Do we actually love uh, even the leaders who have been given authority that you and I would both agree they are abusing and met all over the world? Many leaders are abusing their authority. Many husbands are abusing authority. Many fathers and mothers are abusing authority. Not using it the way God gave it, but yet they still have a God-given authority. And it is to be used correctly. You know that um, I was, uh, even in the, see if I can, it's over in the book of John. This is an interesting thing. You see what happens with, with, with the way that God uses authority is different than the way that um, the way that man um, in in John chapter eleven, you guys remember that the high priest when Jesus was crucified, his name was Caiaphas. Everybody knows that. Most of you probably know that name. Caiaphas had full authority as the high priest at the time for the things that he did. Uh, he did misuse his authority, and he did conduct a kangaroo court, and he did. He did put Jesus uh, before Pilate with no real uh, reason other than they despised him. But interestingly enough, in John chapter 11, it says this, it says, And one of them, Caiaphas being the high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all, nor do you consider that it is expedient for us that one man should die for the people, and not that the whole nation should perish. Now this he did not say on his own authority, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation. <laughs> he, meant it, he meant it like in a bad way. He said, this guy is going to die for the whole nation. And God had him actually prophesy, not the way he meant to prophesy. He prophesied, this man must die for the whole nation. He meant it like, because we do not like the things he said, we'll make him the scapegoat, which again, in the Old Testament, there really was a scapegoat. Caiaphas unwittingly, because God gave him a position of authority, he actually, as the position of authority, prophesied something for Jesus that must come to pass, but it wasn't what, what Caiaphas was thinking. And God has done this throughout the annals of time with leaders. They have God-given authority. They misuse it, and yet God still is doing through them exactly what God intends to do, including bringing judgment on a nation, bringing a, judge, bringing a nation to its knees, uh, bringing revival, all of these things. So even if a leader or leaders or a combination, they have this God-given authority, Paul said you still have to respect the position and allow God to do the rest. In Proverbs chapter 21.1, it says, The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. Like the rivers of water, he turns it wherever he wishes. Caiaphas prophesied on behalf of Jesus 
when he thought he was prophesying against Jesus. His authority, God still gains the glory. Now we know that uh, when we look at when we look at government, we can be very much disturbed at things that we see in our own nation and around the world. Proverbs eleven one says, "Dishonest scales are an abomination to the Lord, but just weight is His delight." We have in New York Harbor Statue of Liberty there, or uh, not uh, not Statue of Liberty, but. Um, you know, the, uh, the justice scales, you know, with the blindfold, uh, blindfold not, not Statue of Liberty, but uh, the, blessed, the blindfold and holding the scales. And it's supposed to be a picture of what? That there would be impartiality. But we know that that's not the case with almost any government that's ever been on the face of the earth because man always shows partiality. There's always a, uh, a class system or an aristocracy uh, like in India, you have a caste system. There is uh, leaders that suppress people. That's, instead of actually having uh, scales that are honest, we get quite the opposite. And these things people observe, and it's very discouraging, especially if you are under the weight of an unjust government. But just weights are his delight. And it is one of the roles of the believer as we are salt and light, to explain or express to people God's institution or what God intended. When we have the opportunity, let's say you're someone at work, they're complaining about government, you can explain that God designed government to be a good thing. But in our country and every other country, man has tainted it. Sin has come in. That pride, the, issue, the, the issues are not... Uh, the issues are not really, at the end of the day, the issues are not Republican versus Democrat. The issues are always pride, lust, right? Evil, covetousness, these kind of things. And they get into any form of government because they're in the heart of man. Proverbs seventeen fifteen says, He who justifies the wicked and he condemns the just... Both of them alike are an abomination to the Lord. Just as uh, Paul said in the 12th chapter, revenge is mine, I will repay, God will someday right all the wrongs of all the wrong governments. We may not see that in our lifetime. Paul lost his head. He was beheaded by Nero. Um, Nero didn't live a long life. And if you were to see Nero today... I'm pretty sure he would say, I made the wrong decision. If you were to see Adolf Hitler today, I'm positive he'd, I was wrong. I couldn't have been more wrong. Eternity is an awful long time. God calls these things an abomination. So when government uh, does do things that, uh, that violate the authority God's given them, someday God will flip the scales. Proverbs 29, 2 says, when the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice, but when a wicked man rules, the people groan. No doubt about it. It's always been true. When the wicked are in control, everyone suffers. When you have a man, a humble man like Moses in authority, it's protection for everyone. Everyone can know that it's God's 
purity, God's divine structure that's going to be followed as opposed to something that is just manipulated for a few. We have, by the way, in our country, uh, interestingly enough, we have a constitutional government, which is incredibly unique. Uh, We actually, in some respects, when you look at the United States, (laughs) we are the government. Our Constitution starts with, we the people. So we actually have a constitutional form of government uh, that is intended to be followed. We actually elect people. We don't have, uh, we don't have a king. Uh, we have elected officials. We, we are, all of us, part of the government process. Uh, so it's been well said that what we have and authority just reflects us. So if we're a rebellious people in our own country, unlike other countries, if we have a rebellious government, it reflects that we are a rebellious nation. And I think that that is very much the case. Uh, other nations have kings, they have, uh, they have dictators, and the people have very little say. We've had a lot of say in what our government looks like, and because, and I think, that, again, you look at the whole issue of submission. If our nation is a people of non-submission, children don't submit to parents, right? The general, the general uh, culture and society doesn't submit to God. Why would you expect to have governments that don't submit either, that aren't submissive, that aren't servants? The people aren't servants, that, and the government won't be servants either. So we certainly have in our own government a reflection of the lack of submission to authority in ourselves as the people, and then it's reflected in our government. If there's pride among us, then we're going to let prideful people, right? If there's lawlessness with the people, we're going to elect lawlessness in government. And we have a lot of lawlessness in government under the guise that they're not breaking laws, There is a lot of that taking place. Proverbs uh, 29, 25, and 26 also says this, as the fear of man brings a snare, but whoever trusts the Lord shall be safe. Many seek the ruler's favor, but justice for man comes from the Lord. Again, this goes back to, for the believer, um, we love people, but we cannot be, we have to understand the role of government, but we cannot be afraid of men. We must fear the Lord and know that the Lord is the one. The Lord is the one that will bring justice. Uh, we cannot solve every issue of government. Paul, Paul used his Roman citizenship. Remember when he appealed? He went all the way up to Rome. He used his Roman citizenship and he used it effectively. But he didn't make it his life's purpose to radically change the Roman government. Did he? He made it his life's purpose to radically change people's lives through the preaching of the gospel. Calvary Chapel, Richmond, our life purpose must be to present Christ to a lost and dying world. When that takes place, uh, many people will act differently in government. When if the revival, the revival we prayed for, the one that I showed the video for 1857, when that take pl- took place, they were able to disband some police forces and all those things that take place. That's how government is transformed. But we still have to have the right level of respect for the institution of it 
even if revival didn't come, but we'll continue to do the same things that the apostles did. In 2 Thessalonians 3, 1 through 2, Paul said, Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may run swiftly and be glorified, just as it is with you, and that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for not all have faith. Paul's like, I, I still have to encounter governments. Sometimes it was just rogue people, but usually it was organized that was against Paul. Organized either religious leaders or government leaders or some combination of both. Deliver us from wicked and unreasonable men. Under, very, well, uh, very much uh, pointing out that once again, wherever Paul goes, he's like, I'm going to have to say things that are going to fly in the face of the very governments, of the local governments or beyond that, that I'm going to encounter. So pray that God delivers me, right? This is very much, you know, that we, we pray for the persecuted church around the world. We are, we are going to be going out uh, in an area where we know uh, Christianity is oppressed. You might hear, you know, I, I follow Voice the Martyrs and Persecution.com and I, I get their prayer requests all the time and and very bold and courageous believers are going out, and I'm praying always that they be delivered from wicked, unreasonable men. Now, most of those saints, they do not hate the government, but they know they wrestle not against flesh and blood, but principalities and powers. They don't hate the government, but they know that they're up against demonic forces that are using the government to try and stop them. And that is not anything new. Satan's been doing that for a long time. You know, John the Baptist, he directly confronted the immorality of King Herod. As believers, uh, again, we're not, we're not to read what Paul is saying and say, well, I guess that, I guess that since God gave government and uh, those who resist will bring judgment on themselves, then we should never say a single word. We should never point out uh, the wickedness that's in our own government or, or this is taking place. No, we can point those things out, but it must come from a heart of love. A heart of what? Loving the people, including those in government positions, but also love for our, the rest of society. You know, I, I want to have a country that actually follows God's law because I know that many lives will be saved. Whether we're talking about the lives of unborn, something that, that we know is unlawful, according to God's law, something like abortion, or if it is, um, and again, if it's just uh, the moral collapse and the government is participating in it, we know that many, uh, many more people, children, lives will be damaged, destroyed. And so we love people, which is why we speak up. John the Baptist didn't tell Herod, you are in sin because he hated government. He told, John, he told Herod, you're in sin because he loved Herod. He's like, you're, you'll stand before God one day. You'll be judged. You won't get away with this. Your best opportunity is to repent and turn away from sin. Now, that didn't go too well, oh, too well for John because neither Herod nor Herod's wife, who wasn't supposed to be, or her daughter, they didn't take well to that, did they? John is murder, uh, murdered for that. Now, he respected Herod's authority, but he did not remain silent. And I don't think the, that Paul is telling the church that, uh, again, whatever the government says, you just be quiet 
That's not what he was saying at all. He was saying that we respect the fact that government comes from the Lord. Daniel refused. Remember Daniel? Daniel refused the law that was issued. There was a law issued forbidding anyone um, in the Persian kingdom, and it was, a, it was for 30 days, nobody in the Persian kingdom could pray to or petition any god but King Darius. Daniel promptly goes right home and prays three times, morning, evening, morning, afternoon, and evening, which was his custom. And everyone knew he was going to break that law because they were all there. I don't think they had cameras or anything, but they, all, uh, they were all there to capture the moment and run back and tell Darius, you know, we passed a law and you sealed it and it's, it's a law that no one can break. And what did Daniel do? He immediately broke it. Again, are we going to obey God? Are we going to obey man? Now, Paul would have known this, wouldn't he? Paul knew this as well. That's, he's, not, he's not saying that we are to, whatever the government says, we will do exactly what it says. He's saying that we respect that institution. We respect the authority. Moses was uh, saved as a baby, wasn't he? Moses was saved when his parents wisely and boldly disregarded the evil command and law of King Pharaoh. Right? Moses' parents said, we're not killing our baby boy or handing him over for you to toss him in the Nile. I don't know how the whole thing worked. They were supposed to toss every baby boy into the Nile River. Now, those of your moms, if the government tells you to do that, are you going to say, okay, I must comply because Paul wrote, and those that resist authority, so we know that that's not what Paul was talking about. Remember going back to what I started at the beginning, we judge Scripture by other Scripture. This is the right heart attitude, but for things that God says are right and things that God says are wrong, we obey God, not man. So Moses was saved because his parents wisely and boldly disregarded that command. And then Jesus, his very own life was spared. Obviously the Lord was not going to let his own son (laughs) complete his mission on earth. And Jesus' own life was spared when the Lord had Joseph and Mary also escape and avoid this wicked law that uh, was more of just a decree, but you had Herod killing the baby boys under the age of two. Jesus' own life was spared, where his parents, instead of complying, said, I guess we got, yeah, here's Jesus. He's under the age of two. No. They saved his life. Let's look at two other things. Um, I didn't give my outline, by the way. That was called authority for those of you taking notes. Uh, two things we just I want to close with. I have a lot less on these, but I just wanted to point them out. Punishment and honor. Uh, Paul, Paul addresses one other thing here. Uh, bearing the sword in vain. This speaks to capital punishment. Um, in chapter 12, go, you go back to chapter 12, we see that the Christian, the Christian has no personal rights to take vengeance. But the government is given authority for punishment of evildoers. Peter talked about it as well. Paul talks about it. So the government has the God-given right and even responsibility for capital punishment to lawfully execute those that are guilty of crimes worthy of death, uh, specifically murder. Uh, But one of the other ones that uh, in the Old Testament, rape was also um, 
commanded for the death penalty as well. That, uh, so for murder and for rape. Uh, why? Well, both of them are, both of them are crimes. Uh, well, not, not crimes. They, both of them violate the human body and soul. You know, they, they, those two, murder and rape, were created in the image of God. Uh, those two are heinous acts in the sight of God. And they were both, uh, under the law of Moses, given the death penalty. According to the FBI's Uniform Crime Statistics, uh, in 2012, the United States had 14,827 murders and 84,376 forcible rapes in the U.S. in 2012. Um, 5.69 times as many rapes as murders. Uh, but collectively, if you take all the murders and all the rapes in the U.S., now those are the ones that we know about. I guarantee you the numbers are much higher than that. Those are the ones that the FBI uh, that were reported. There's plenty of forcible rape that's never reported, and there's plenty of murders, I believe, that also take place at, again, whether they're illegal aliens that were murdered in the country, all kinds of other things. But nevertheless, if you take those two numbers, that's 99,203 too many. Agree? 99,203 too many. And under the law of Moses, all of those should have been capital punishment. That's God put government. So the 99,000 would be a lot less. One of the reasons, you ever hear, you hear the argument that uh, capital punishment is, does not deter crime. You ever hear that argument? It doesn't deter crime. You know one of the main reasons why it doesn't deter crime in our country? Because it's not public. And it's not swift. It's neither swift nor public. So since most people, now I don't, I don't, I wouldn't want to observe um, capital punishment. I don't think you guys would either. It's not something that anyone would want to. But you know, under under uh, if you had a just society um, and it was done for the right reasons, it really leaves an impression upon people. Say, I don't think I want to do that. Right now, this has been abused many times as well. You have governments around the world that murder innocent people all the time. I mean, no one's murdered more people than communist and socialist governments in the history of mankind. I mean, so that's a different thing altogether. That's back to more of persecution. But capital punishment done correctly, where Paul's saying the sword is not there in vain, and he understood that capital punishment really is a deterrent if it's done justly. Would you agree? If it's done justly, it really would be a deterrent. But of course, um, it's not done that way. And capital punishment, uh, you look at murder, it was, um, it was capital punishment well before even the law of Moses. Genesis 9, 6, whoever sheds man's blood by man, his blood shall be shed for in the, he is in the image of God. He made him. That was to Noah. So Noah comes off uh, the ark, and one of the things God says is that anyone that sheds man's blood, his blood will be shed. So this is well before the Mosaic law is given. It's always been uh, in the heart of God that murder, uh, the only way that you keep murder from proliferating, 
and I would say the same is true of rape, is to stop it dead in its tracks. Otherwise, there is no deterrent. And Jesus said in Matthew 5, 17 through 18, Do not think that I came to destroy the law, or the prophets, I did not come to destroy the law, but to fulfill. Assuredly, I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, not one jot or tittle, but no means pass from the law until all is fulfilled. So Jesus in no way said that capital punishment has been removed. Again, it's not the right of individuals. Going back to chapter 12, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, vigilante style. But the, the role of government is to bear the sword with justice and to make sure that society as a whole is protected from violence and from violating people, murdering, raping, all of these kind of things. And then lastly, uh, the last thing we'll touch on, and then we'll go ahead and close out here, honor. And he says, um, verse 6 or 7, for because of this you also pay taxes. I'm sure you all enjoy that. Uh, for they are God's ministers, continually this very thing that render therefore this was, again, a big problem in Paul's day. Uh, no one was hated more than the tax collector, right? Jesus dealt with this, that uh, if there was two groups that Jesus got maligned for hanging out with, it was you were hanging out with immoral people like prostitutes who had come to faith and were no longer. They weren't prostitutes anymore. They had come to faith. And then tax collectors. The worst of the worst. You've got your, uh, your down and out prostitutes and your tax collectors, and to the Jewish people, that was the two lowest rungs of all. We, of course, love the IRS agents, don't we? We don't put them on the lowest rung or anything like that, but uh, it, it's not something that anyone, uh, it's, no one in the history of the world has enjoyed paying taxes. Here it is in, in uh, Romans 13, Nobody enjoys paying taxes, but the reality is um, there does have to be some form where everybody pitches in and chips in. I think most of us are okay with that concept. It's when it gets out of control. True? And, and, there is, and this is why you want leaders that are governed by God's wisdom that understand that uh, you know, this doesn't make sense if, uh, if three-fourths of the paycheck goes to taxes uh, what really will we have as a society? But in general terms, again, taxes were for a good thing. I mean, it would be that everyone would benefit, that there would be certain, you know, if, if you like highways and you, you like to drive on a pavement and things like that, it's good that everybody kind of pays into those things. And even in Jesus' day, there were things that everyone benefited from, from a collection of taxes and Paul said, look, you just have to not whine and complain because that's what everybody else will do. You have to be part of the solution rather than part of the problem. And I'm just paraphrasing. I'm not saying that Paul said it that way. I'm paraphrasing here. Be, you know, just whining and complaining about taxes. Understand that taxes in and of themselves can be a good thing. But this is why, again, in our own government, we have the opportunity to participate. Some of you could run for office. Some of you could be in positions to influence good laws and good decision-making and good policy. And I support people that do those things. But I think at the, uh, in the seventh verse when Paul says, Render therefore to all due taxes, taxes, customs to customs, fear to fear, honor to whom honor. Again, 
going back to my original thing that we can either overthink this or underthink this, finding the, the balance in the middle of what Paul is uh, talking of, um, not to overthink this, but to kind of understand what is, what is the heart of the matter that Paul's getting at. Christians should be the best citizens and neighbors. That's really to kind of to oversimplify, but hopefully hit the mark. Christians should be the best citizens and the best neighbors. And when everyone else is complaining, we actually say, you know what? I pray for them. You what? What good's that going to do? You know what a jerk that you know judge is, or uh, that politician, or they? I know they. I know they've made. I I don't like the things they're doing. I'll say that to people. I say I'm not. I, I I'm not happy with many of the decisions that uh, are happening in our country, at all levels. Activist judges, some governors, some senators, all the way up through the White House. I can see different things. I say I'm not happy with these things, but what's the answer? The answer is, I still have to serve the Lord, love them, pray for them. I'm still supposed to be the best citizen that I can be, the best neighbor. I still have to give honor to the title. Even though people, you may not want to give someone a title, you have to anyway. Because God's allowed them to have the title. So you give that respect. Paul said in 1 Timothy 2, 1-4, Therefore I exhort first of all that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men for kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. I want to, right there, first of all, prayers and supplications. If all the Christians in America, instead of, you know, all the things, and, and again, I get good information on social networking and stuff like that. I'm not, I'm not against that stuff. But I'm saying there's many Christians who don't pray at all but have posted 56,000 articles this year. It doesn't say, first of all, make sure you inform every single person of every single thing. It said, first of all, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings are all authority that we may lead. If you and I want a quiet and peaceable life, the prayer meeting should be more full. Now I'm here Sunday morning, our prayer meeting is hardly anyone here. So I know that those of us that want a peaceable life, <laughs> the ball's in our court. The Lord says, you want a quiet and peaceable life? You better start praying. You better start interceding. Remember the revival 1857? Jeremiah Landfield. Start, he passed out hundreds, thousands of flyers. How many men? Six wanted to gather and pray. But it ended up being thousands because intercessions and prayers for their own government, <clears throat> which had its issues too, <clears throat> for this is good, verse 3, is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and come to knowledge of the truth. The reason we pray for government is that people would be saved. It goes back to what is love for God, love our neighbor as our self. Jesus, they tried to trip him up. He said, therefore, tell us what you think. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus perceived their wickedness and said, why do you test me, you hypocrites? Only Jesus can say that, by the way. We're not allowed to say that to people. <laughs> if you're God, you've got to love that, right? 
Jesus, he wasn't always, well, as a matter of fact, he was never politically correct. He would say what the Father told him to say. He says to the religious, why do you test me, you hypocrites? Show me the tax monies. They brought him a denarius. He said to them, whose image is on the inscription? They said it's Caesar's. He says to them, render therefore to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. When they heard these things, they marveled, left and went their own way. Jesus is saying, if you love God, you'll have the right level of respect for the institution that God has set up. doesn't mean that Jesus endorsed Caesar's lifestyle or the decisions that Caesar made or anything like that. He said, look, we're going to pay taxes, but I'm still going to speak out on sin, and it isn't going to make Pilate happy, and it's not going to make the religious leaders happy. Right? Jesus didn't make, Pilate was one of Caesar's men. Jesus didn't make Pilate happy. Pilate was a wicked guy. Don't be misled by the fact that Pilate was struggling over the crucifixion of Jesus. He was one of the worst governors ever. But Jesus didn't make anyone that was opposed to God happy, but he also understood that authority came from God, and he would teach the Jews, say, look, you can't have a hatred for an institution. You love God, you'll actually desire to see Roman citizens who you don't like come to know Christ too. And so in government, even where leaders are corrupt, we still have to pray and intercede. That's what Paul said. We have to have the right attitude. This is, again, the context of what he's talking about. Let's pray.